Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for giving us your word, our Old Testament and new. We thank you very much for the word of the Lord Jesus Christ through his apostles like Peter. We pray that uh, as we look at 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning that you help us to understand what it means, help us to think very hard about putting what we learn into practice in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are more than 40 wars happening in our world right now. More than 40. Researchers say uh, that uh, wars kill around 400,000 people each year, as well as untold injury and suffering and grief for millions of people. Uh, the World Health Organization estimates that worldwide around 56 million babies are murdered each year in their mother's wombs. 56 million. Uh, each year, in road crashes, nearly 1.25 million people die, as well as an additional 20 to 50 million being injured or disabled in car accidents each year. Researchers estimate that there are around 45 million people who are in slavery today. 45 million slaves, many of them enslaved as prostitutes. Nearly half of the world's population, some 3 billion people, live in poverty. How is poverty defined? It means they live on less than $2.50 per day. 1.3 billion people live in what's called extreme poverty. That is less than $1.25 per day. And every day, some 22,000 children die from poverty-related causes. 78 million acres of rainforest are lost each year. More than 20% of the Amazon rainforest is already gone and much more is severely threatened. Scientists say that on present rates of destruction, there will be no stocks of seafood, basically no fish left in the ocean by the year 2048. Toxic pollution affects more than 200 million people worldwide. In some of the world's worst polluted places, babies are born with birth defects, children have lost 30 to 40 IQ points, and life expectancy may be as low as 45 years because of cancers and other diseases. What a mess. This world is a mess, full of injustice, full of evil, full of sin, full of wrong, full of wickedness, full of death, full of mourning, full of crying, full of pain. It is a mess. So, why doesn't God come and fix it? Why doesn't God bring it to an end? Why, why does God let the mess of this world keep on going? Why does he tolerate it? Why does God do nothing to end the mess? You know, historically, Christians have believed that God is going to come and end the mess. God is going to come and fix it, right every wrong 
fix every injustice. Christians have believed, historically, that Jesus is going to return to this earth, that God is going to judge the world, put all things right, and then God is going to bring in a whole new heaven and earth where there is righteousness and peace and none of this awful stuff happens. That's what Christians have, have always believed. It's what, they've, it's what they've looked forward to. It's what they've thought about day by day. It's what they've talked about, even what they've argued about. But it's been a long wait, hasn't it? We've been waiting a long time, close to 2,000 years. And it seems that today, the doctrine of the return of Jesus has become a bit of an embarrassment. It's not something that Christians think about very much anymore. I don't know if you wake up each morning and think, maybe today. Do you? It's not something you hear Christians talk about a lot anymore. People don't usually say, see you on Sunday, assuming Jesus isn't back yet, or something like that. When was the last time that you, apart from Bible study this week, spent time reflecting on the fact that Jesus is going to return? When was the last time you thought seriously about it? When was the last time you talked about it? You raised it in conversation. For most of us, it's pretty much absent from our thinking, isn't it? It's not something we ever talk about. When it comes to the return of Jesus, we, we, I think we leave it to the crazies, don't we? Who walk around the street with, you know, end of the world is nigh written on their front and back. It's become a bit of an embarrassment. Well, Peter starts off this last chapter by telling his readers that he wants them to have what the NIV calls wholesome thinking. Uh, Peter wants their thinking, their understanding about Jesus to be, uh, the literal word is pure. And I think in context, what he means is uh, pure in the sense of uncontaminated by the deceit and the corruption of the false teachers that we've been thinking about over these last couple of weeks. Uh, Peter says, he reminds them that God has given his readers the true message of Christianity. It's there in the prophets of the Old Testament. It's there in the teaching of Jesus as brought to the readers through the apostles of the New Testament, apostles like Peter himself. Uh, the, the readers have the true word of God, the trustworthy word of God, and Peter wants them to remember these true words. Avoid the false teaching, stick with the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, have a look with me. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. A difference. This is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. I want them to stick with the truth. And, and now in this last section of the letter, Peter goes on to deal with one particular issue of truth. It's about God's promise to send Jesus back and judge the world. Now, it seems that the false teachers are denying that Jesus will return to judge the world. And no doubt that fits in with uh, their idea. That, uh, do, you remember, do you remember what they were saying? They were denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, uh, Peter says. So in other words, they're saying, uh, once you're saved, you, you can do whatever you want. You can sin as much as you want. So you can imagine the kind of thing that might have happened... The false teachers are saying, uh, once, you're, 
once you've trusted Jesus, once you've saved, you don't have to worry about living righteously anymore. But, but some of the people in the church went, well, it doesn't sound right, and so they tried to argue about it. They probably said something like this. How can you say we don't need to live righteously? It's not possible. Uh, yes, of course, Jesus died and rose again to forgive us. That's true and that's wonderful, but that's not the end of the story. Uh, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to judge the world. When Jesus comes back, the unrighteous will be destroyed. We can't be unrighteous. Otherwise, when he comes back, we'll be destroyed. In response, the false teachers denied that Jesus will return. They said, God's not going to judge. And as the years started to pass by, they started to scoff. They started to tease the people who were eagerly waiting for Jesus to return. What's happened to this so-called return of Jesus? Not seeing any sign of it. You think he might have forgotten you? You think he hasn't got a watch up there? The world just keeps on going on like it always has. Verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days... That's, that's talking about the time between the ascension and the return of Jesus. In the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. The false teachers, they want to follow their own evil desires, verse 3, and so they're saying that Jesus won't come back. But Peter says they deliberately ignore one fact. They deliberate, deliberately ignore that when God says something, it happens. God keeps his promises. You can trust his word. Now, verse 5, Peter talks about the creation of the world. He reflects back on the Genesis chapter 1 picture. Uh, God created the world, Genesis 1, by his word he just said let there be light and there was light he said it it happened when god says something it happens the whole universe is proof verse 5 but they deliberately forget that long ago by god's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water that's the genesis 1 account when God says something, it happens. And when God says he's going to judge, it happens. Now, Peter reminds his readers about the flood in the days of Noah. God said, I'm going to judge the world with a flood. Noah was the only one who believed him. No doubt everyone else scoffed at the idea, but what God said happened. God keeps his word. Verse 6. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. God's word brought creation into being. God's word brought judgment in the days of Noah. And God's word says, this same word says, Jesus will return. God's same word says, judgment will come. God's same word says, the, the unrighteous, the ungodly will be destroyed. God has promised it will happen. Verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment 
and destruction of the ungodly. We have God's faithful, unbreakable word on this. Jesus will return. So, so what's taking so long? Why has it gone on for all of this time? What, what is God waiting for? Why isn't Jesus back already? Peter gives two answers to that question. Two answers. Our first answer, God doesn't view time the same way that we do. What for us might seem like a long time doesn't necessarily seem like a long time to God. Uh, Peter alludes to Psalm 90 to make his point. What to us is a thousand years seems like just a day to God. Verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. I remember when my kids were little, uh, the idea that Christmas was three weeks away may as well have been forever. <laughs> three weeks makes no sense whatsoever. To, to a person who's only lived for a couple of years, three weeks sounds like an incredibly long time. Now, after 51 years, I know that it's going to go by like a flash. In fact, before I know it, it's going to be next Christmas. <laughs> but being older makes time seem to go faster. That's true, isn't it? Um, the years do, in my experience, is it the same as yours? The years do seem to get faster and faster as you get older. I, I, I guess it's because each year that we live is a smaller proportion of our life than the last one was. So, so from our perspective, each year seems shorter than the last one. Well, imagine what it's like being eternal. Imagine having that perspective on time. I mean, for an eternal God, a hundred years, a thousand years, ten thousand years, it's, it's, it's just a blip to an eternal God. So, reason number one, why is God taking so long to end this world? Answer, who says it's long? By, by what measure? It's not long in God's eyes. Second reason. Second reason Peter gives for why God is taking such a long time to judge is this. It's to give people time to repent. Again, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if God hadn't waited for nearly 2,000 years, well, you and I wouldn't have had a chance to repent. Um, if he hadn't waited this long, we, we couldn't be in. I take it we're pleased that he's held off this, this far. I've got to say, in some ways, I am just so looking forward to Jesus' return. It will be so good to see an end to just the sort of mess of this world that we talked about before, all the awfulness. It'll be so good ourselves to be different, to be without the sin that so easily entangles us. I mean, how wonderful will it be to be transformed into what we were meant to be, how... How extraordinarily magnificent will it be to see God face to face and to be with him forever. In some ways, I just cannot wait for Jesus to come back. I want him back now. Bring it on. But then I start to think about my family. No one in my family trusts Jesus yet. 
I started thinking of other people I care about who are not yet Christians. They haven't relied on Jesus to take away their sin. And, and suddenly, I'm, suddenly I'm not so keen to see Jesus back right now because Jesus comes back right now, that's the end. There is no more opportunity for my family and friends to, to escape God's anger. There's, there's no more chance for them to repent. And, and so I can understand what Peter's saying here, can't you? I mean, there are complexities with it. If, if God is the one who brings to repentance, and the fact that the, the more time goes on, the, the more people there are who don't repent, and, and there are all sorts of intricacies to think about with this concept, but, but, but I can understand the ambivalence that's here, can't you? Um, God loves people. He, he loves my family and friends more than I do. He, he doesn't want anyone to keep rejecting him and face judgment, and so... What Peter's saying here, even though God would love to send Jesus back, he's holding off for one reason and one reason only. He's holding off to give people a chance to repent. So here's reason number two. God is patiently holding off from judging because he's giving people time to turn away from sin and put their faith in Jesus. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Okay, that's as far as we're going today. Second last time in 1 Peter. Week after next, we'll finish 1 Peter just before Christmas. Uh, 2 Peter, just before Christmas. Uh, can you see what's here then? In this first part of 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter wants his readers to remember the true message about Jesus, the message uh, from the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New. And in particular, he wants to remind them of this one particular fact, Jesus will return to judge. Some people say that Jesus won't, some people say that Jesus won't return, but God has said that Jesus will return. And if God says it, it will happen, just like it did at creation, just like it did in the time of Noah. If God has said it, it will happen. God may take a long time, humanly speaking, before he sends Jesus back, but God doesn't view time the same way that we do. And God is patient. He's waiting for people to come to repentance and faith in Jesus. That's why he's holding off from judging. All right. That's what's there in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Let, let, let's then spend some time thinking about applying this passage to ourselves. As you can see from your outline, there are two points of application. Uh, first, the return of Jesus will happen. And second, we have a job to do while we wait. See, there, it will happen. And we have a job to do while we wait. Let's look at each point in turn. Point number one, the return of Jesus will happen. Now, friends, this world is not going to go on forever. all the stuff we make, all the stuff we fix. It's not going to continue forever. Jesus is going to return to this world. Everyone will stand before God in judgment and this creation will be transformed into a whole new creation. That's good news, isn't it? God will fix this mess. Those 40 wars, gone. No more babies being killed in their mother's wombs. No more 
car accidents or slavery or environmental destruction, all the pain will end, all the wrongs will be righted, all the injustice will be stopped. There will be a new world of righteousness and peace and joy and, and God will be with us. It is great news, isn't it? Although, of course, at the same time, it's bad news. Bad news for unforgiven sinners. All of us are going to stand before God in judgment. And the reality is we're all part of the problem. All of us are part of why the world is such a mess. And so when we stand before God on judgment day, there is no one who's going to be justified on their own. There's no one who's going to be good enough to make it into heaven. The only possible way that we'll be justified, the only possible way that we'll be able to be part of this new creation is through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's through God forgiving us, God cleansing us, God declaring us right in his sight. It only can happen through Jesus. And so it's good and bad news, this return of Jesus. But for better or for worse, it is true news. It will happen. Jesus will return. And friends, if it is true, if it's going to happen, I reckon we should think about it more. Don't you? It could happen any time. I think it is the sort of thing that we should think about each day. We ought to wake up each day and go, maybe this is the last one. I think it would be a good thing to put up on your desk or on the fridge. It could be today. Good thing to remember, good thing to keep in mind. This world is not forever. Soon Jesus will be back. We ought to think about it. And friends, if it's true, if it's really going to happen, we ought to talk about it, wouldn't we? In our Bible study group, I made everyone very uncomfortable, but I got them to agree. Uh, this week, we set ourselves some homework. We agreed, and I can see a couple of rolling of eyes from people in my Bible study. We agreed, we promised that we will talk about the return of Jesus to one person this week. Somehow, in conversation, mention that Jesus is returning in our conversation. You want to join us in our homework? Go on. Try to talk to one person this week about the return of Jesus. Does the idea make you feel uncomfortable? Why is that? Why are we so embarrassed? Is it because we've given in to the scoffers? Have we lost faith that Jesus will return? Because if we have, we're wrong. The return of Jesus will happen. That was point number one. Brings us to point number two. Point number two, uh, we have something to do while we wait. Uh, like all good uh, tiger parents, I want my children to learn self-discipline and to do well. And one of the key things they need to learn is to rightly use their time. So, for example, in the mornings, it's half an hour of piano practice. I know that makes me a very soft tiger parent because a real tiger parent is the second hour that counts, not the first. But softly, softly, 30 minutes is set down for them to practice playing piano. When I mean practice playing piano, I mean practice the pieces that the teacher has given them. 
that 30 minutes, it is not the time to mess around on the piano. It's not the time to improvise. Uh, it's not the time to go to the toilet, no matter how much they might tell me they're busting. Uh, it is not the time to play the guitar. It is not the time to daydream, imagining that you're playing the piano. Uh, it is not the time to cuddle dad. I can see straight through that trick. Uh, the purpose of this half hour is to practice piano. Four o'clock in the afternoon is the time to start homework. Again, that next hour or two or whatever it is, it's set aside for a specific purpose. It doesn't start at 4.15. It starts at 4.00 on the microwave clock. And at 4.00 on the microwave clock, it is not time to watch TV. It is not time to fiddle around on the iPad, despite the fact that they reckon that iPad is for homework. A lot of nonsense that is. It is not time to play with the dog. It is not time even to play piano. It is time to knock over your homework. I reckon it's an important discipline. I reckon it is a vital lesson to learn in life. Spend your time doing what you are supposed to be doing. Don't leave it till later. Don't procrastinate. Do it now and then enjoy later. Spend your time doing what you're supposed to be doing. Do you know what this passage tells us? There's something we're supposed to be doing. Something we're supposed to be doing with our time. Can you work out what it is? Let's think it through. This passage tells us there is one reason why God is allowing this world to continue. One reason why God has not already sent Jesus back. One reason why we don't just go straight to heaven when we trust in Jesus. One reason why we're left here on earth for a few years. What's the reason? Did you notice? God is not continuing this world so we can make ourselves comfortable. That, that, that's not there, is it? Check, check it out again. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Nothing about making ourselves comfortable. God is not keeping this world going so that we can be successful, prosperous. God is not keeping this world going so that we can make money and buy a house and live the Australian dream. God is keeping this world going for one reason, so that people can repent, so that people can hear about Jesus, turn from sin and put their faith in him. And that means it must mean that there's something we're supposed to be doing while we wait for Jesus to return. Must do. Mustn't it? There is stuff we're supposed to be doing with this time. What is it? Well, first, we ourselves must repent. This is the time. Now is the day. Soon, possibly today, Jesus will be back. If you have not repented, turn from sin. Put your trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for your forgiveness. This could be your last chance. Now is the time for repentance. There is no later. When Jesus comes back, chance gone. We've got to stop running life our own way. We've got to put our trust in Jesus. Today's the day. And then second, we need to keep meeting together and helping each other to, to keep on trusting Jesus, to keep on living lives of repentance. We saw it in the book of Hebrews earlier in the year. Let's see if you can remember this. It said, let's not forsake meeting together. Let us encourage one another. And all the more, do you remember? 
as you see the day approaching. Is that how you think about church each week? Better get myself along to church and meet with those people because Jesus is coming back soon and I need to help them be ready. I need to make sure they don't drift away. Do you think that way? That's the way the Bible says we should be thinking about coming to church. Maybe we need to bring our thinking more in line with God's way of thinking about it by keeping the return of Jesus in mind. We ourselves need to repent. We need to help each other live lives of repentance. And then third, if God is keeping this world going so that people can repent, well, surely we need to tell other people about Jesus. Don't we? Um, um, Tell me if the passage is saying anything different. We need to tell people about Jesus so they can repent. That's why the world continues. I'm not saying that evangelism is the only thing to do. I'm not saying we shouldn't work, for example. The Bible says we should work as unto the Lord. I'm not saying we shouldn't invest in family. The Bible says we should spend time raising family, bringing up children in the training and discipline of the Lord, or caring for older parents. I'm not saying we shouldn't rest. The Bible says we should rest, take the opportunity to worship God, to acknowledge that he's the one who gives us everything, to thank and enjoy, thank him and enjoy his goodness. There is plenty to do in a life of repentance, a life directed towards God. I'm not saying evangelism is the only thing to do, but friends, it must be one thing to do, mustn't it? If the whole reason this world continues is so that people can come to repentance. It's got to be one thing. It's got to be a, surely a high priority. So when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Has it been a long time? Is evangelism a priority in your life? Why not? Is it because you have forgotten that Jesus is coming back soon? Is it because you've forgotten that today could be the last day? This is the only chance for your family, your friends, your workmates. It's the only chance they have to repent. Soon it'll be too late. And all that other stuff we're working on, that'll soon be gone. That'll be burned up in the old creation. The only thing that'll stand in the new creation is those people who are in Christ. Friends, we're going to get with the program. Stop cuddling Dad when we should be doing piano practice. Spend our time doing what we're supposed to be doing. Friends, it's good news. Um, Jesus is returning to fix up the mess. The only reason he hasn't returned is so people can repent and be part of the new creation. It does leave us with a job to do, though, doesn't it? Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your mercy and kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has lived the life we should have lived, died the death that we deserve to die. Thank you that he's risen again and is at your right hand, pleading the merits of what he has done for us. Thank you that through him we can stand before you on Judgment Day with confidence, knowing that we're forgiven and cleansed and have a place with you in heaven. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that Jesus will return and that Judgment Day is coming. And so we pray that you help us to be ready, help us to encourage each other to be ready, and help us to play our part in bringing the good news of Christ to this world so that others can join us in repentance and be with us in the new heaven and new earth. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.